0: He won Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You
1: like me right now. You like
0: me. He's National Review Online's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now, now that I'm on my She's way. a front-page contributor to Red State and a broadcast professional who calls life the way she sees it. Yeah, Crack up the radio. Very interesting. She's Mickey White. How do you like me now?
2: This is The Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to The Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Sexual Harassment Lawsuit Insurance for Bills. Are you a powerful man named Bill? Are you finding yourself in trouble with women? (laughs) Don't feel bad. Studies indicate that 45% of all men named Bill run into sexual harassment claims or worse, whether your name is Clinton, Cosby, or O'Reilly. So don't wait for your willy to get your good name in trouble. Contact Sexual Harassment Lawsuit Insurance for Bills today. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and welcome to the Peak Pollen Season edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Mickey, how are you holding up?
1: (laughs) I hate pollen. I'm glad to be back, but I need you all to understand how much I hate pollen. All of this yellow poison that's floating around in the spring. And in the beginning of spring, I try to think of the beginning of Bee Movie and how life would not exist without pollen. And yet and still, I don't think flowers are that important.
0: <laughs>
1: they it, are it to really the bees, is,
2: you know, almost like snowfall around you know both your portion of Virginia and mine. <laughs> I, you know, was joking that uh, you know because the kid, spring break for the kids was ending this week, so before uh, before they went back to school, we went out and made pollen men and threw pollen balls at each other. <laughs> it's as if somebody just—it's you know, like it's like the the plants are sneezing light green powder all over everything. There are probably there are probably worse bodily fluid. Uh, Uh, Metaphors we could go with
1: there. It really does look like there's golden snow in the air because it's everywhere. Yesterday, it was a beautiful day. Um, I opened up the windows like an idiot (laughs) because I'm an idiot. And I opened up the windows thinking not of the consequences, Jim, but of instead the fresh air. And when I came back in the room like an hour later, there was a yellow line, like a crime scene outline (laughs) around everything not nailed down. Now, this is what pollen does to your house in the middle of Virginia, people. Don't do it.
0: I've got uh, two silver cars and a dark blue car. And the dark blue car is yellow until about July. (laughs) (laughs) It's just awful. And it doesn't matter. You wash it. You bring it home. You put it in the carport. The next morning, there's a half an inch of yellow crud on it.
1: And it's so bizarre when you do wash it because you have that stream of yellow coming off of it. <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 it's it like your car e- is urinating. It, right. it, yeah, it, it doesn't even make any sense because you couldn't make it that yellow if you tried.
2: It's uh, yeah. Now that we've now we've had lots of gross analogies and, and things like that. Although you know, look, it's a fact of life in this part of the country. Hopefully, our listeners are uh, having a less messy spring over there, um, Mickey. It's also we're we're also coming into wedding season. Uh, and I understand you got to enjoy one, and I have one coming up soon. So how how are you dealing in the wonderful world of weddings?
1: Well, this was probably, other than my
2: own, the most
1: important wedding of my lifetime. Um, it was my little sister's wedding, and she is younger than I am, thus making her a millennial. Most little um, sisters
0: are younger than the, yes, than yeah. the big sister.
1: And, uh, and, so, and, and she is a millennial. All of her friends are millennials for the most part. Um, it was a very millennial-esque wedding. It was a destination wedding. Um, well, I know well, you didn't
2: get married; got participation trophies.
1: Yes, and and so you know, we, we act, You and I actually kind of discussed this a little bit off air, but I think it's something that's worth sharing with our listeners because it is becoming very popular to have these smaller, more intimate destination weddings. It's very trendy, and with wedding season upon us, it's good to be prepared. Now, having just experienced this myself, I'm I'm here to you know help people through it if you need me to. <laughs> Um, because I know not everybody, you know, enjoys the experience as much as I do. And truth be told, you know, not everybody looks forward to weddings. Now, if you put a destination on it, though, I think it makes it a little bit better because in theory, Jim, since most people don't, like, stay in the same town in which they grew up in and lived, et cetera, almost all weddings require you to travel, right?
2: True. I, I used to gripe about this, but somebody pointed out to me that technically – Every, uh, every, every wedding is a destination wedding for almost for, for some portion of the guests. If, unless you, unless it's, yeah, everyone you know lives in one town, the odds are good that at some point you're going you – know somebody's going to have to travel and it's just a fact of life.
1: And if you're going to have to travel anyway, why not go someplace cool?
2: Yeah. Um, I also would point out though – I, I don't know about you, Mickey. I had that year. I'm going to guess around 27, 28 where everybody you know gets married in one year. Yes. So the financial commitments started piling up like planes coming into Newark Airport. You know, (laughs) you can see them. And so each one of them was kind of like destination wedding. I've decided where you are going on vacation this year. Um, You know. And and to
1: some degree, I think that's true. I mean, in fact, I've had friends that have gotten married while everyone was on a cruise together. Like you had to be on the cruise in order to be at the (laughs) wedding. But again, when you do that, you're talking about a much smaller, much more intimate setting. You're not asking 125 or 300 people to come to this event with you. And I think that's the biggest shift because when I got married, which was not that long ago, um, I think I, I was one of the last among our friends and associates and certainly our family members to have what would be considered like the big wedding in mm. the big church wedding. Like we did that. We did the big church wedding. We did the reception hall, the whole bit. And, Since that time, I've definitely seen a shift where people are doing smaller, more intimate weddings, um, sometimes cooler destinations, sometimes just a little more personalized. But it does make you wonder, like, if that's a general shift in just the people I'm seeing or if that's something throughout the country. I'll give you Um, the
0: uh, inverse of destination weddings. When I was living in Brussels, a really cool destination wedding happened when the son of a friend of mine in San Diego got married. So I flew all the way to San Diego and uh, marched around the wedding group bragging about how far I had come and how I ought to get a trophy for the Longest distance travel to this wedding, and I got shouted down immediately by twenty or thirty elderly Israelis. Oh wow! <laughs> I thought, okay, a wrong wedding to brag at. So I'll just uh, I'll just be sitting in the back row. Thanks. <laughs> but I did go to the beach in San Diego, so that was a destination wedding we'll for see, me.
2: There you go. You know, I was going to say. So you guys were amongst the last in your peer group to get married, right, Mickey? uh
1: yeah, close to it. Yeah, we so, it, during the year of weddings. We were at the end of it. But I think like eight people got married the year we did.
2: So you had the advantage of seeing everybody else's wedding and and figuring out what you'll like, what you don't like, what you definitely want to do, what you don't want to do. I I was going to say, Mrs. Campaign Spot and I were were among the first. I don't know about you. We look back and we realize we really didn't need to do the bouquet toss and the garter toss and all that. I don't know about you. We ended up doing it and – I've been to weddings where the bouquet gets caught by a you know you know the thing where you're supposed to then put the garter? the guy who catches the garter is supposed to put the garter on the leg of the girl who catches yes. the bouquet. Okay, that's a terrible, terrible tradition.
1: Well, interesting. You should bring this up because at my sister's wedding, um, I, and I have caught bouquets in the past and had to sit through the someone awkwardly trying to put the garter on your leg who catches the garter. <laughs> and my sister loved the tradition of th- tossing the items. She just thought the idea of putting the two together was stupid, um, and so she had a she had a, a t- bouquet toss and a garter toss, and it was not just for single people. Um, it was for anyone uh, who wanted to okay. participate, Uh-oh. and you did not have to then put it on the other person.
0: Yeah, that could okay. be really awkward if you had to do that, and your wife was watching you.
1: And right. um, and okay, and but- it was really funny because. This particular time, the bouquet fell directly in front of my feet. And I looked ah. up and saw it, and a woman was diving for it at that moment. So, uh, An already married woman, by the way. <laughs> diving. So the competition does not die.
2: <laughs> yeah. See, the, the entire – because you know, here we are. It's wonderful. We're celebrating the couple. And now we're going to have two complete strangers do something extremely sexual in front of <laughs> everyone watching, including grandma. <laughs> Who came up with this tradition, right? I don't understand this. And I've been to weddings where the uh, the garter was caught by one of my good friends. This was thankfully after I got married. And I believe the bouquet was caught by a 12-year-old who decided to go out cuz it would be fun.
1: Well right, that's when it gets really awkward and weird and you're like, "Okay," and he like puts it on her ankle and kisses her on the Don't forehead watch. and all is done. I like the I love the idea of the toss, by the way, because it, it brings out competition like you've never seen. Um and still, like I said, in in the case of my sister's event, And wedding, she did not want to make it just single ladies. There were a lot of couples there. So she wanted to kind of make it fun for everyone. Because there was not going to be the awkward putting the garter back on (laughs) moment, um, she just kind of opened it up. And we played Renegade at the beginning. It was a lot of fun. Um, But the music definitely got people all hyped up. Because, again, those that were competitive before they were married were still diving for the bouquet.
2: (laughs) Begin by playing the opening theme to the Madden or or, you know, the Fox News <laughs> football. <Da-da-da-da-da>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and again, I enjoy the toss because I believe that competition is good. And it's entertainment. I do see what you're saying about the awkward exchange of the garter back and forth. But that's not as bad as like when you get to oh, unfortunately my my sister's wedding, because it was a small intimate event, this, some of the benefits of that, I would assume, is that you do have an open bar for most of the evening. And I think that you know going to a wedding where it's just wine and beer or if it's a straight cash bar, people tend to be a little like, oh, but booze is expensive. So if you're having this event, it's kind of one of those things where you have to cut where you can cut. And, and how do you feel about walking into a, a, a wedding situation or reception situation and there is a cash bar?
2: Yeah, here's the thing. my attitude is probably something like beer and wine should be free. Um, if the hard stuff if you want to charge for that, I'm more understanding of that. I, I think, you know, the basic stuff, yeah, cover that. People, you know, you are throwing on a wedding. It is kind of, you know, uh, throwing a big party for everyone. On the other hand, we know that the, the happy couple is probably saving up for a honeymoon, probably saving up for uh, possibly purchase of a house or something. You know, there are a lot of expenses that come with the wedding, and I understand they got to cut where they, where they have to, so... Uh, it, it it happens, no doubt. Um, I'm with know. the open
1: bar. You have the inevitable, like drunk wedding guests. Yeah, the people who can dance suddenly that could not dance before, <laughs> and they entertain the rest of the guests, thus making the price of admission really skyrocket at that point. Um, we like, like I said, I like the idea of the smaller, intimate wedding. It did not feel as bougie. As my wedding, which I actually appreciated. Um, I like the fact that everyone was able to kind of relax and hang out and enjoy the DJ and dance. And where she had it, she had it at a resort um, in Duck, North Carolina on the beach. And part of the deal was in addition to having an outside deck and bar, she also had this huge like 20-person fire pit.
2: Uh. And
1: people were sitting around afterwards, you know, and – obviously having cocktails and people actually made s'mores that were provided by the Sanderling. And it was just that whole experience, like that was done very well. Now, I have been to weddings that, you know, were big church weddings and huge receptions and you still felt like it was very impersonal. Mm -hmm. And so there was something very personal about that. So I like the shift in that sense. But at the same time, I think that, you run the risk of, like, you know, your mother's brother's aunt probably isn't going to make it.
2: Yeah. And, and there's, there's the, always the list between, you know, my, my poor brother and his fiance are going through this now. The people you really have to invite, the, the people you want to invite, the people you have to invite, the people you feel obligated to invite, but you don't particularly care that much if they come or not. And uh, then, of course, you've got the people who you aren't going to invite. Isn't it
1: weird because weddings are very much about transitional periods of time and the fact that you're inviting people that were like a big part of your life when you were younger, maybe a big part of your life, maybe in college, a big part of your life currently. Um, So these people might, because I know that there were people at my wedding that I was maybe friends with for a total of like six months of my whole life, but they happened to be friends (laughs) with me right at the moment when I was sending out those wedding invitations. Does that make sense?
2: It does, it does. And I just want everyone to know that, uh, you know, I also talked about uh, the, the types of cliches we're starting to see at weddings now. Uh, over on the Jim and Mickey Show Facebook site, I'm going to put up the wedding season bingo uh, scorecard put up by the good folks at Swimmingly. See how many you recognize. Chances are there's a good, good chance you've seen at least two or three at, uh, at the most recent wedding you've been at.
1: Oh, absolutely! In fact, when when I took a look at this the very first time, Jim, I think I got been going three directions. There you go, exactly. So I look forward to hearing what our listeners have to say about it. We're going to talk about some controversial things going on in the news, and I have air quotes up right now. In the next segment, I'm Mickey. Wait, White. Do we have time to rehearse this, with Mickey? Wait,
0: we don't. So we have to do it live? <laughs> I think we're going to do it live. <laughs>
1: we'll do it live!
0: Did rehearsal ever help this show? I don't think so.
1: <laughs> we'll be right back. When that sun breaks out, lift up your head and shout, it's going
0: to be a great day.
2: Kellogg's waits for you,
0: that spirit comes shining through, promising you a great day.
1: When there's no man around... Goodyear should be. Why? Watch this. New Goodyear Double Eagle carries its own spare inside. Lifeguard safety spare. Attire in attire. Keeps on going. Next time, give her a second chance.
0: With the football, I can't go to the dance like this.
1: Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show all this week. The news has been dominated by discussion about what is going to go on at Fox News. The number one cable news network is having trouble with what has been the star of the show for many years, Bill O'Reilly. Yet another lawsuit is pending. Now discussion is that Fox is looking into possible exiting talks. Maybe by the time this actually airs, it'll even happen. And, and Jim, You know, you and I were friends and fans of Fox News for years, uh, still are with some of the people who work there. However, it's one of the situations, because Bill O'Reilly has been accused so many times, kind of as you joked about in the opening, as some of the other Bills out there. Um, Is this a case of where there's smoke, there's fire? Or is this a case of there's always been fire and they're finally doing something about
2: it? Well, maybe it is kind of appropriate to, to put those other bills in the mix of Clinton and Cosby in that, look, when you have a well-known figure uh, and they're accused of some sort of sexual misconduct, particularly something like sexual harassment, you know, you know you're, you're not witnessing it. Uh, it's not on record. It's not like there's cameras It usually is a he said, she said situation. So you never quite know whether to put stock in those accusations. But then when there's a second accuser and then a third accuser or in the case of Cosby, <clears throat> forty accusers. Well, um,
1: let's say you to the idea that once one story breaks, though, other women see it as an opportunity.
2: Look, certainly a possibility. Um, usually, there is a certain amount of uh, you know exposure and potential backlash and, and and criticism that comes with making an accusation to a powerful public figure. So, yeah, are you going to get some people who are? Uh, out for attention or, or trying to leverage it into a quick uh, financial settlement, yeah, you, there's always that possibility. You do wonder if every single one of the accusers would be of the, be of the same mindset. And, and the second thing is that when it's, I think, you know, the one that had me uh, uh, unnerved lately was Julie Roginsky of, of Fox News. I think I was on a panel with her a few times. You know, this is somebody who's been at this network for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. So by coming out and saying, yeah, I was sexually harassed a lot uh, over that time period, Is that even hard to imagine? Uh, I'm sorry?
1: And she's burning a lot of bridges. So I see where career-wise it's not going to benefit any of these women. Um, Now, financially it may benefit them in the settlement side, but that's not the same as career and that's a difference. Um, But it's not hard to imagine Bill O'Reilly kind of smacking girls on the ass.
2: (laughs) I I was going to say – at some point, you start seeing enough of these little anecdotes and stories and things like this. What kind of got him is early this week, the New York Times said uh, that he had five suits, uh, five you know, lawsuits settled at a cost of $13 million to Fox News. you got to be careful
0: talking about settlements, though, because you got financial partners, you've got law firms, and they're all recommending things like the risk of losing a suit, regardless of the facts, which does oh, happen quite a bit, is high enough that we want you to settle so that we can put a cap on the amount of loss that we're going to suffer here, and they force people to settle who really don't want to because they know they're in the right, and that does happen quite a bit, so I don't think...
2: Dave, Mickey, I'm hearing everything you're saying. I just want to say I saw that news, and I just felt like asking for a raise (laughs) Uh, because when you've cost your employer $13 million in settlement of lawsuits... Uh, you're kind of – I don't be like, well, that's more money than I'm probably ever going to make in my lifetime, more money than most people ever make in their lifetimes, and that's just for settling.
0: It's not how much – it's not more money than Bill O'Reilly makes in his lifetime. I promise you that.
2: I I understand every time he writes uh, killing uh, Jesus, killing Reagan, killing (laughs) MSNBC – Killing My Career with Sexual Harassment, all of those books are sold really Killing well.
1: Advertising Revenue. Yeah.
0: You know. Yeah, they would just fire people like us. They wouldn't spend $13 million protecting us because we're not making them that much money. <laughs> O'Reilly so is. Look
2: at that. The other thing is just a question of, I don't know about you, you know, yes, are there false accusations? Sure. Are there times where there's, oh, you look nice today and somebody takes it the wrong way? Sure. Yes. I'm, I'm positive of that. Um, you've heard some cynical voices say the easiest way to avoid a sexual harassment lawsuit is to <clears> – <throat> Be handsome and charming. Uh, um, yes, I, you know. I, look, you know. I, I'm sure.
0: All
1: I want to all I have- want to know, know is how I can be sexually harassed by him, and quickly <laughs> the money dries up. That would
0: solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it? I,
1: I'm just saying. Like, I just want my cut. That's all. <laughs> I want to be around one of these guys that does something really stupid, and there's an opportunity for me to make millions off of it, and then never be heard from again. You could throw
0: yourself against the armrest on a United Airlines plane. Oh wait, that's I, well, last he, week's
1: news. You know, we are we are here here is my problem with all of it. We are a lawsuit happy nation. But we also live in a society where the only way to truly affect these people is through the pocketbook. Because there's nothing that anyone the any one of these individual women could have done, obviously, to quote bring down Bill O'Reilly. And and the massive money train that he has been for himself, his empire uh, that he's built from the factor through Fox News, um, through his books, through everything that he does, um, the man is you know he, he is certainly if not the most successful financially, one of the most successful financially in the business. Right. And
2: a, so finish to, your point. But I'll have a all of a bone to pick there. But go ahead.
1: Well, no, but what, I, what I'm saying is that with all of this money, with all of this that comes in and whatnot, like, again, the idea that he is worth so much to these people that they're going to pay 13 million dollars to five women in separate cases. And, you know, and then, of course, whatever is forthcoming. And we also, you know, I don't know all of the details involving that because please keep in mind this is after Gretchen Carlson has already taken 40 million. I think it was from Fox News for the Roger Ailes situation. So, this is a lot of money coming out of this network simply because the women there are feeling mistreated. And it's by their stars, by their, you know, by their owners, by the managers, etc. and there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, Fox News is one of the top stations. They have a lot of female viewers. I wonder how they're going to respond.
2: Yeah. My uh, my sus- my suspicion is that your your reactions to these sorts of things are generally dependent upon what you've experienced in your own life. Meaning that if you've dealt with someone who's either been hypersensitive or uh, eager to uh, to file a lawsuit or, or or tends to react to stuff like that, then you probably think, ah, you know, it's probably nothing. These women are just out for money. If you've probably ever dealt with a boss who's either abused their power or treated people badly or had a wandering hands or something like that, then you probably think, oh, okay, yeah, he probably did it. You know, pow- There's a perception that power was an aphrodisiac. Um, either that or simply power feeds the egos of narcissists and makes them more inclined to believe that they can behave any way they like. Um, I, I just kind of, You also said you know, that, that O'Reilly has been a, a money train for for Fox News. Let me observe something, Nikki. that when, when O'Reilly's out, you don't see a sudden drop in the ratings for Fox News. Um, to, you know, Various friends and I who have uh, uh, you know been in the cable news business and watched this sort of thing and I kind of said, look, Fox News has a lot of people who like to watch in prime time. So they start watching at 8. And then by 9 o'clock, some of them go to bed. And then by 10 o'clock, some of them go to bed. And then by 11, a lot of them have gone to bed. <laughs> and you can rearrange Sean Hannity, Greta, uh, 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 Who am I forgetting? Tucker's there now. Tucker, Meg, and Kelly. You can switch all of them around, and you will always have the highest ratings at 8 o'clock, and then the next highest ratings at 9 o'clock, and then the next highest ratings at 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah. I I,
1: I don't think that that's necessarily false. I just think that he's done a really good job over a considerable amount of time. Because please keep in mind, I don't like him. Um, I've never been a fan of him. He will always be the inside edition guy to me. Like, Always. (laughs) Um, he will, I I can't look at him, like, I can't look at anything the man says and take it seriously. I just can't. Um, so I, again, his, you know, the, the draw to him is beyond me. I don't get it. Never did. Um, do I think that he's guilty of some of this? Probably. Um, he comes across as a, a bit of a creeper. Um, But, you know, I've never met him. I can't say for certain. It could just be his personality and the way he comes through as the inside Edition guy um, to me. And again, I I, I think part of it has to do with an age and a vibe. But I think with you have this many women speaking out that in a way that is not going to necessarily, again, help them professionally. I think that it's worth looking into. And I'm glad that something's being done, even if they don't end up getting rid of him, which they may have by this point. The fact that there has been a little bit of public
2: shaming even associated with it, I
1: think it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. And I've had crappy
2: bosses. Okay. I, I was going to say, look, w- t- w- there was a headline that said one of the things that's hold- that's troubling Bill O'Reilly in this public fight about whether he's been behaving badly for a long time is that he doesn't have a lot of friends inside the network And I don't think you see him having a lot of friends outside the network either. Um, I think there's something to be said about the way Bill O'Reilly treats people, even outside from the realm of of sexual harassment. I think, you know, we've had Mary Catherine Ham on our program before. I think it's safe to say she's a friend of the program. I I think if you don't think highly of Mary Catherine Ham, there's something deeply wrong with you. And I seem to recall something. he, He just berated her right after she came back from maternity leave one time. Saying that she wanted her kid to be smoking marijuana or something. And it just was like the most uh, obnoxious, off base, out of the blue. You just wanted to smack them. And uh, you know, that's not like you could say, oh, it's a, it's a completely different O'Reilly than we're used to getting all night. Bill O'Reilly has the persona of the drunk guy at the end of the bar who half remembers a bunch of stuff and is totally convinced he's right. <laughs> I, I, you know that is a personality that I, you know, I, I have always kind of one. I've I've been baffled that it is the most powerful name in uh, in cable news prime time because he doesn't strike me you as the kind of person of you'd want to invite into your home for the for one solid hour. There are other hosts who are you know different. My well, nice
1: on some level, that so many people
2: do.
0: I've always sure wondered why
2: anybody likes him. He's such a blowhard. He's so arrogant. He just, I, I just yeah, dislike I like, him. So my guess is, is much- I'm wondering how many people uh-huh. – okay, my suspicion is there are a lot of people who feel this way. But let's just say they <clears throat> may have a book coming out or something like that and they want to stay on good terms with the host of the highest-rating show yeah. in cable news. So they're not going to express any of this. So once you take away Bill O'Reilly's uh, show and his platform – that, as we all know, sells a lot of books with the the word killing in the title, well, gee, (laughs) all of a sudden, it's a free fire zone. All of a sudden, everybody can say what they really thought about Bill O'Reilly this whole time, and he may be in in for a very rough period of a couple of weeks where everybody suddenly says, okay, now that there's no consequence to my career of criticizing him, let me tell you what I really think. What does that tell
1: you about the careers and the industry, though? The fact that people will remain silent because they realize if they say speak out against him and it's received poorly, then they aren't going to be able to even promote their own work.
0: That's just Hollywood diplomacy. They do the same thing in showbiz.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's Hollywood diplomacy. But I think it's fascinating that it applies to, quote, unquote, political news.
0: And to journalism, you know, you think getting the story right
2: would be the number one air concern.
1: Around journalism,
2: Mickey, <laughs> <laughs> are you suggesting that I'd speak well of people just because I have a book that's going to come out someday and I want them to be on their program? I'm
0: saying <laughs> what? What? you're what? not alone. Yes. <sighs>
2: um,
1: so you know, and again, I think that it, it gives us a lot of food for thought, a lot of things for us to decide as both viewers and consumers of news and how we get our news and. And kind of think about where we get it as well.
2: Yeah. So just remember, everybody, be nice to your coworkers. Try not to say anything that could offend them. Uh, and even if you think someone's looking good, don't call them pretty woman unless they're Julia Roberts. We'll have more <laughs> on her right after this. Everyone asks, Corinthian leather? Of course, why not the best? It's the same with our new Chrysler New Yorker. It gives you everything. Powerful V6, anti-lock brakes, front-wheel drive, rich leather, 770 protection plant. And Chrysler's exclusive crystal key program. Complete car coverage with owner care that's even better than Rolls-Royce or Mercedes. Chrysler New Yorker gives you the one thing you always wanted in a luxury car. Everything. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares Maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up Charge! Charge! Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity joined by Mickey White and Mickey, I'm sure there's a great deal of intense competition for who should be considered the most beautiful woman in the world. <laughs> I, myself, believe there's a strong contender married to me. Um, I don't know about you, Mickey. So, I, yes, I do Google You
1: can't myself. see me right now, but I just
2: rolled my eyes. <laughs> of course. Um, so, I, by the way, I Googled myself, and I found out that Jim Garrity, and you know how Google like will recommend the most common words after it? Yes. So, it went like, Jim Garrity National Review, Jim Garrity Twitter, and then the next one was Jim Garrity Wife. Oh. And Mrs. Campaign Spot has, as far as I know, no photos of her on the internet, uh, I don't think there's. I, I've. I don't talk about her in interviews. I don't give her name. She. She does not want to deal with the kind of grief and aggravation that comes with living in the semi-public eye you do when you when you work in media. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wonder: Are these people emailing? Like, is you know, is she? Uh, is she a lunatic? Uh, Is she long-suffering? You know What kind of crazy woman would marry that man? (laughs) Or is she hot? Uh, (laughs) People were wondering. And the answer is yes, very much so. But, um, Mickey, if I had to say to you, who is the most beautiful woman in the world? Uh, Putting aside yourself, obviously a strong contender. um, Who would you put in there? Because my suspicion is you'd have a different answer than, say, People Magazine. Uh,
1: The first person I immediately think of, of course, is J-Lo. I think that Jennifer Lopez is stunning. I don't think that there's any place that that's up for argument. But if I then had to like think a little deeper, think a little harder, there are some gorgeous models out right now. I think that Kendall Jenner is stunning. I think that Gigi Hadid is beautiful.
2: And she can stop riots with a Pepsi can. <laughs>
1: stop. Um, so I, I think that there are a lot of beautiful people out there. I found it fascinating that People Magazine decided to put Julia Roberts on the cover for the record fifth time. And it's not yeah. that Julia Roberts isn't stunning. one, they've already awarded her this previously. I feel like this is holding on to some type of nostalgia thing because we have seen this um in in previous years where they've gone back to previous winners and things like that. and for me, I always felt like it should represent something or a rebirth or you know a new fresh face and in this case, I'm, I, my first thought was does Julia Roberts have a new project coming out? I don't know about
2: well okay, because here's yeah. Here's my first question, Mickey. Does, does People, People Magazine is primarily purchased by women or by men? I'm guessing mostly by women, right?
1: Yeah, your consumers are going to be probably 60, 40 women.
2: Okay. Am I uh, crazy for having a suspicion that the feminine idea of beautiful and the masculine uh, of a, the feminine idea of a beautiful woman and the masculine idea of a beautiful woman – probably differ considerably.
1: Please see also Maxim's Woman of the Year and well, Sports yeah, Illustrated's or Slimsuit Edition for clarification.
2: Um, I was going to say, looking over this, I'm sitting there thinking, uh, for example, I'm, I'm looking back over past winners. Catherine Zeta-Jones, no dispute. Let's see, that was 2001. Uh, I would give Nicole Kidman, mm, okay. Um, Angelina Jolie, sure, I'd put her on there. Drew Barrymore, okay. Drew. Most of them are pretty darn attractive, you know, pretty darn objectively attractive. Beyonce, um, Sandra Bullock. I'd say most of them are perfectly attractive women, but not the ones that most women, most men would say, "Wow, yes, I will, I will knock over other people to talk to her at a party because she's unbelievable." Um, That's you know, that's more of a Kate Upton category.
1: Well, but that's just it. There are models out there. There are people that are beautiful out there that are acting and doing things that are not julia roberts who has already won previously and again part of the description um given by people magazine was that they you know they embraced the fact that she was aging naturally and you know basically a nod at the fact that she clearly hadn't had enough work done that anyone would notice if any at all and that she looked really good for her age of 49 which they made a point of again, pointing out this to me speaks more to the volume of who is still buying people magazine, because it's not people in their twenties and Mm -hmm. thirties because they get their information online. So their target audience is not about men or women. It's about the age difference. And I think now you're looking at people who, instead of thinking that 49 is old is 49 is, you know, yeah,
2: yeah. 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 no, I, I think you're, you're very much correct there. I, I, uh, again, and maybe it's we, we shouldn't be surprised. But you know, the, 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 you know, <laughs> assessments of beauty are always going to be subjective. And the sneaking suspicion would be that um, it's like there are certain stars in Hollywood. That my feeling is is that women like, uh, but that men don't actually think are um, off the charts beautiful. And I think you know Julia Roberts is head of that category. Uh, maybe Sandra Bullock. I think uh, the other ones who are.
1: How could you not thought- think Sandra Bullock is hot? What is wrong with you?
2: Attractive. I
0: love her. Um, <laughs> Come on, Jim, you can do it.
1: <laughs> I don't think he can. He's got nothing. Sandra Bullock <laughs> you know is what? awesome.
2: All right, you ready for this? Okay, like speed era, uh, Sandra Bullock, really, really cute. Yes, really attractive. Um, I guess the other thing is, so some of these stars. What is she not cute? She's adorable.
0: Jim, I'm I'm 56. She's going to be attractive when she's 80 to me.
2: <laughs> Thank right. you, Dave. Thank you. This is where everybody's going to say, oh, how dare you judge the appearance of other?" But, you know, of <laughs> course, never mind the fact, like, this is the, like, people sets this up as specific. It's not like the most extraordinary people. It's not the most, uh, what's it, uh, Barbara Walters, the most fascinating people of the year or something like that. No, no, this is the most beautiful. So, I mean, inevitably, there's going to be somebody, how dare you judge them by their appearance, even though it's quite literally right there in the, the title. <laughs> yes, that is the entire point of the competition. Um, so, you know who didn't get it, uh, Mickey, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. No, 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 she
1: did not. Our girl did not get it. And I haven't seen enough of the um, the, the preview yet to see if Gwyneth even showed up in the beautiful magazine um, for people this year. However, one place you can always find her giving her solid advice and input is on her website, Goop. That's about- Goop.com, people. For those of you who haven't checked it out yet, this is where Gwyneth Paltrow shares all of her ideas on culture and living and life. And this week, she has blessed us with the Goop Fast Food Guide. Wait, what? It's the <laughs> Goop Fast Food Guide. So, according to them, summer's almost here. Your family trip could be around the, <laughs> the corner. And shout out to all the hashtag dance moms out there. You're going to have to eat fast food. And so they have put together <clears throat> a compilation of orders from all the fast food chains. And I know you're going to be shocked by this, Jim. But they're all salads.
2: <laughs> well, okay. Like, if you're getting, you know, I suppose if you're on the road, you're trying to get healthy. Yeah, maybe you pick a salad. I'm, I'm sure they're perfectly tolerable, but I just don't know if a, a McCobb or a McSesar, um, I'll Caesar. it this way, you know, considering how everything else at most of these places is frozen and then reheated, and you know, full of artificial flavors, I'm not expecting the freshest produce at McDonald's. Am I? Am I becoming a fast food snob there, or? Uh,
1: no, but one of the suggestions they make for McDonald's is instead of just a salad, the best bet there is that you have to actually ask them to make a lettuce wrap grilled chicken burger, <laughs> 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 topped with the pico guacamole dressing with no cheese and a side of apple slices. Now, I'll be honest with you, I would watch someone ordering that. So, if you want to put like a little hidden camera on someone, send them into McDonald's or, or better yet, send them to a
2: drive-thru. I, I was gonna say, I picturing the driver. thru Walking to McDonald's, can I have your autopilot? <laughs> a lettuce, what, ma'am? A lettuce on the burger? Yes,
1: yes. A lettuce wrap, grilled chicken burger topped with a pico guacamole dressing. No cheese. These are the same people that sometimes can't put the buns back on. I have gotten cheeseburgers home, open them up, and they have no bottom bun. So I have very little faith in their ability to put together a lettuce wrap grilled chicken burger, top with a pico guacamole and dressing of no cheese.
0: I'd watch somebody order that at the counter, but only if I'd already put in my order and I was just waiting for my food. If I was behind them, I'd grab them by the neck and throw them out.
1: Fair. They also want to let you know that in addition to salads at every place that you could possibly go and order them at Domino's, you can also get a veggie pizza with a gluten-free crust, which is thin and crispy and I'm guessing also
2: tasteless. (laughs) You know, I know people who are trying to go with that gluten-free lifestyle, and I wish them well. But uh, look, it's fast food places, right? It's burgers. It's fries. I know they've tried to diversify their menus. Um, People might recall I lived abroad for a few years. I tended to survive pretty well living abroad because I'd learn order the simplest thing on the menu and it's the toughest to screw up and by and large. Whereas you know Mrs. Campaign Spot would offer would order the most advanced things she remembered from eating in the States and in, uh, invariably be surprised that it had been Turkified and all of a sudden it wasn't like she expected and it didn't get prepared correctly. So I don't know if I want to ask fast food places to try to make a lot of different changes. To I don't I even don't, know if
1: I've ever seen someone
2: order a salad at McDonald's. Right,
1: I mean, there's there's got to be. A, I mean, uh, I know they a, offer them, and certainly some people buy them.
2: There's chopped. There's uh, panera bread. There's there's a bunch of places that are a little more focused on salads than uh, than stuff like that. I just don't you know. Like, if you're going to get fast food, like, I guess the idea of like, I'm gonna if I want to try to eat healthy, I'm not going to stop at a fast food place, right? Or am I, you know, being?
1: No, I think that's the general idea, but I think the idea being like if you have to stop at a fast food place, you could eat healthy, but then again, the comeback is what's the point?
2: Yeah, they get, you know, you know. and also if you're on a long road trip with your kids, God help you, you know, eat, eat whatever it takes. To well, get eating
1: salad like, in a car is not easy.
2: Yeah, no, like no, the I, whole I, point
1: I, of fast food is basically that you're picking it up in the car and eating in the car. And as, as bad as that may be, it's ten times worse if you're trying to eat a salad and the lettuce is flopping off here and there and, like, flying out of your bowl and you're trying to use a fork and dressing. It's very hard, it's very hard to very
0: drive much. while you're doing all those things.
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs> When's the last time Gwyneth Paltrow drove a car? Probably about the last time <inaudible> Hillary Clinton drove a car. I mean, if, if you're going with Paul Troy, like like the the joke about Goop is how it's the sort of thing that only the most ludicrously out of touch, wealthy, so empowered, uh, entitled celebrity could could possibly think were good lifestyle choices. I think she's describing something that is entirely theoretical to her. Or right? she
0: could advertise it as a salad you can eat in the back of a limo.
2: There you go. <laughs> Just like everyone else. <laughs> Limo salad. <Yeah>. That's right. <laughs> make a salad. I eat everything in smoothies form anyway, so this is entirely theoretical to me. I,
1: I think the best way to make a salad go better um, in, a, in a more drivable form, I guess, might be in a wrap form, but that's not really something that's available. And again, knowing what we know about McDonald's, it makes me very and, – and pretty much all fast food places, once you're ordering from your car, the likelihood of your order being correct the first time is about slim to none. <laughs> you start adding in all of these special requests, including, in fact, no bun but a lettuce wrap. And I, and I feel like you're going to be sadly disappointed. And-
2: you know, what I need to hear, not from Gwyneth Paltrow, but people with real life ex- you know, experience, what food is easiest to eat while driving and least messy?
1: Maybe that could be our Trivial Tuesday question for next week because this week one sure got everyone talking. um, They're still talking about it. So when we come back, we'll be talking about it too. Our Trivial Tuesday coming right up.
0: (laughs) Introducing Popeye's all new comic strip glasses, yours to keep when you buy a 69 cent soft
2: drink. Grabbing a quick burger.
1: The colonel only uses fresh quality chicken, like I do.
2: And the way hamburger prices are going, it's nice to get a good sensible meal at a good sensible price. Hey, I'm a boy boy.
1: <laughs> it's so nice. Nice to be with
2: so good.
1: Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. This week, we asked a question on Trivial Tuesday that ended up being such a big hit that Jim and I decided we were going to actually break this out into a segment. And what I asked all of our listeners on social media was, what really bad movie do you actually love? Now, Jim, this this caused a, just a, avalanche of answers, and some of them were fantastic, reminding me of the really bad, really, really good movies. But I feel like there was also some confusion with the question. Um, people not fully understanding what I meant by a bad movie, because some mm. movies are good, and not to be confused <laughs> with bad
2: movies. Yeah, I, I, as the entire world was waiting for the final results from the Georgia special election, uh, apparently coming in from by donkey uh, to the, the central... Uh, uh, vote counting location by elephant, not by donkey. <laughs> ah, there we go. Yes. Um, that uh, I'm looking at. This 261 replies as of this moment, uh, and probably more. And it is Wednesday afternoon as we are taping this. People are still debating them. Now, I say th- I think if you're going to make a nomination. You shouldn't pick a movie that was, eh, you know, pretty good or or not that great. No, I want a bad movie, but that you yourself see genius in or see something wonderful in uh, that everybody else seemed to miss. So um, a lot of kind of in the, you know, for the last action hero uh, nominated by Amy Waltzing Matilda uh, a couple of people mentioned that one, which I think stands out as a everyone, one of the great flops of Schwarzenegger's career, but really something kind of funny and odd going on, making fun of the action hero genre uh, while also giving plenty of thrills and over-the-top violence and things like that.
1: We saw um, some nods to Bruce Willis' movies as well. Um, Hudson Hot came up a couple of times, which I think is funny because it was one of those movies that growing up I loved but everyone else hated uh, my, my little sister, we mentioned her earlier in the show. She's also a big Hudson Hawk fan. And I saw that come in. I saw um, The Last Boy Scout from Bruce Willis come in as well. It was interesting to see kind of patterns of behavior.
2: <laughs> Last Boy Scout, arguably the most like quintessential. You know, it, it, it is so 1990, it almost raises the level of uh, uh, the, the Keanu Reeves, uh, Gary Busey surfer movie. Um, oh, yeah. Point, Point Break. break. Yeah. There we go. You know, very much iconic of an era. Uh, I would know, by the way, Hudson Hawk, the reason, it, the reason everyone hated it was because it came out right after Die Hard, and every, it was kind of pitched as another action movie, and it's totally not an action movie. It's this, like, wild, dark comedy that has happens to have a few action sequences. But someone, all, even like, meant,
1: yeah, someone even mentioned striking. Someone mentioned striking stuff, right? Well, you know, yeah. the musical numbers in Hudson Hawk are what made it, because that's how they were able to time themselves when they're on their
2: heist. So people are like, why is he singing? Wait, what? I think, oh. What is he going to say (laughs) yippee-ki-yay? If if you go in recognizing it's Die Hard the musical, you'll probably get a lot more out of it. And
1: again, Andy McDowell is in that, who I do not like, but for some reason men of a certain age really find her attractive. I do. Uh, There you go. Um, But another Bruce Willis movie that made the list and I thought was fascinating was Striking Distance, which was set in Pittsburgh and around the the water authority,
2: if you will. And I thought that was a great one. The Exciting Life of River Cops. Um, <laughs> yes. I remember a very young Sarah Jessica Parker playing his partner, probably one of the most epic miscasting uh, decisions of all time. But I seem to remember her doing some interview when it came out. And she she couldn't even pretend. It's like, yeah, I, we're, we're clearly doing a, a classic film here. It, mm-hmm. it clearly yeah. – even she couldn't take it uh, all that seriously. <laughs> and Yeah, let's face it. I don't know. If you're, if you're some terrible river thief or something – and all of a sudden, Officer Sarah Jessica Parker comes to get you. I don't know. I I, I just don't see see you, you know, uh, uh, quaking in your boots.
1: Yeah, talk about, again, a miscast situation, obviously, uh, on the horizon with that one. We had a lot of people that made nods to any movie that had ever been on Mystery Science Theater 2000. I felt like that was a cop-out. Well,
2: yeah, if if you name one, that's fine. I think that's a good indicator it's a bad movie.
1: Yes, Um, Sharknado got a couple nods um, for the Sci Fi channel, so I want to give props to them for that as well. I threw uh, my hat behind Galaxy Quest.
2: Ah, I think that's a good one, because people wouldn't necessarily say it's a bad movie. <laughs> I think what's interesting, it, it's supposedly a parody of Star Trek that kind of turns out to be prob- arguably better than like at least half the Star Trek movies. I love that movie. The joy I, I of Galaxy
0: the- Quest was the way they avoided reference to any words that might have Star Trek copyright. I,
1: I think the idea of it was, you know, the show within the show. Mm was a big sell point for me on Galaxy Quest the idea that they brought had to ultimately bring the fans and you know a very young Justin long came in right. to help guide them <laughs> through this insane path that had been set up and because they had watched the show so many times they knew how things were set up and and the scene where the little monsters, the cute little monsters come down and <laughs> they the ones injured and weak and they're all watching and then they jump on it, and start eating it. That entire scene is my favorite scene, maybe of anything that's ever been put to film. <laughs> I, remember, I remember reading Have something. Have you guys where not seen the show?
2: <laughs> the uh, the Star Trek fans heard about it and knew that Tim Allen is basically playing young William Shatner, not 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 young James T. Kirk, but young William Shatner, uh, ego and all, and that Alan Rickman was basically playing the. Uh, basically playing Leonard Nimoy, you know, the I'm too good for this <laughs> actor. <laughs> I can't believe I've been reduced to doing this. My life is ridiculous. Know, what are people going to separate me from my character? By uh, Granthar's hammer, I shall avenge you. you, know, they, they turned, <laughs> you know, it was such an affectionate mockery uh, that I think a good portion of Star Trek fans ended up really liking it. So, uh, uh, so my nominee, here's the thing. Well, first of all, I think a bad movie can really hit a chord with you if you see it at the right time. Uh, Mickey, my nomination was Monkey Bone, a little-known 2001 movie featuring um, uh, Brendan Fraser and Rose McGowan. And I know almost nobody went to see this because I went to see this in the theater shortly after getting laid off in 2001, and I was the only person in the theater. Oh, <laughs> okay. It worked as a metaphor, shall we say. That's uh, memorable. I also had been laid off. It was a dot-com. I had been working as a... Is the closest I've come to being a professional cartoonist. They were running my cartoons <coughs> and not paying me, but you know, still, still hiring me to do other work. And uh, Monkey Bone is about a cartoonist who uh, die- doesn't die; he goes into a coma, and while he's in the coma, he's in this strange dreamland in which creators uh, live and, and kind of are trapped by their creations. So he has this wacky monkey character called Monkey Bone, which is a fairly uh, transparent. A uh, uh, pun and kind of meant to be the, the metaphor for his id. Uh, there's a cameo by Steve King who says this dog named Cujo put him there. <laughs> uh, somebody playing Edgar Allan Poe saying, for me, it was a raven. You know, The idea that these creative people have these cre- – there's a lot going on in this movie. You could tell – So what was- you're
1: saying is that, that Monkey Bone was worth watching to you at that time. Have you seen it since?
2: Um, I think I've caught one or two I've seen it on cable and not watched it all the way through. We're
1: I'm gonna have to now find it and watch it. but I, I want to point out that Brendan Fraser was a also repeat nominee uh, for Encino Man.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, no, very good yes.
1: uh Biodome, which I think was one of his as well. Horrible. I could be wrong about that. or oh, was Horrible. that Polly Shore and us. Baldwin. Yes. Yeah. Um. And Polly Shore made a couple. I saw the son-in-law pop up, which I will admit I found that to be a very funny movie too. And I don't even like Polly Shore.
0: George of the Jungle by Brendan Fraser also has to be in there.
1: Yes, that was on the list as well. All there right. were a couple Brendan Fraser movies that that popped in. Um. Another one. What did he do? A Tarzan movie? Oh too? yeah,
0: he was terrible yeah, in that oh, yeah. too. There you go. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait! Hold on. My mind is drawing it all together. That was George of the Jungle. It was the cartoon version.
2: George, George,
0: George of the Jungle, strong as he can be. Ah! Watch out for that tree. Ooh. I used to watch when I was a little kid, sitting oh, on the floor in front the the of the TV. One
1: that kept popping up, Dudley doolittle
0: Yeah, Dudley Do- right. Dudley Do- right. The yeah. Canadian Mountie. Yeah.
1: Dudley Do-Right, yes.
0: Brenda Fraser's done some great work, but his catalog of horrible movies, I think, is longer than any other single male lead.
2: But the funny thing is that they're like kind of likable bad movies, right? Like There, there are certain movies where you're like, oh, uh, Matrix uh, Revolutions, right? Terrible movie. People are expecting something great, and you get a turd, right? You're, <laughs> you're mad. For half of these movies, you're like, yeah, let's see what this is like. <laughs> That's pretty good, you know. He's kind of so, cute and funny. Ah, uh, you know, so look, hopefully there's, there's another movie coming out. We're almost done with the show, but there's one other development in the realm of pop culture we have to talk about. Has the time of the Jedi come to an end? Stay tuned, and we'll speculate about it right after this. It's time for the Jedi to end. The best fresh ingredients are what make Betty Crocker potato dishes taste so good. Hi, I'm Mike Wallace. Get golden fluffle. You can feel uneasy about your bathroom. Granada. Mercedes. Granada. Mercedes. The new Ford Granada ESS. See how close you can come to the look of a $20,000 Mercedes at the price of a Granada. That's
0: right, making things like making things look like right. right. They're slugging it out in the middle of the ring. A uh, right Shh. to the jaw. I block a off. I've got a new SSP. So
2: Okay, let them go. Some of the great SSP racers for 72. When you pull that t stick, those SSP racers howl with power. <laughs> Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, it was just a few years ago that J.J. Abrams and a cast of new actors took the legacy of Star Wars, put together a film called The Force Awakens. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? And audiences were thrilled. And then Disney said, you think that's good? Wait for our next film, an anthology, Rogue One. And audiences said, yeah, that's pretty good too. Kind of sad at the end. So now the question is, can Disney keep it going? Or was it all running on the, all running on the backs of Harrison Ford? We got our first look at Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Episode Eight. To end uh, just this past weekend yeah, it's a very quick it's, it's a teaser trailer it doesn't show a ton um, I'm pretty optimistic but uh, you know I, I you, you say this is
1: the movie that doesn't come out until Christmas right correct that's not how the
2: force works
1: <laughs> okay. Just clarifying for our audience so they're not expecting Star Wars to be coming out this weekend. Have you seen the Wonder Woman
0: trailer? They've been teasing Wonder Woman for like a year and a half.
1: Well, this is going to be an important one, too, because they've already, you know, it was already in post-production when Carrie Fisher died. Yeah. So all of her role was already filmed. There's not going to be any need to go back and, you know, CGI her in as people, I think, were concerned because people are dumb. Um, But I know as someone who is not a fan of star wars per se to me it just sounds like star wars number 8 or something is coming out how yeah, am i real- wrong jim
2: well okay so here's the thing so the the when they knew the audience expectations for for episode 7 right you know force awakens like oh my goodness the actors have gotten so old is this going to feel kind of sad nobody liked the prequels they bring back the force awakens and it's really good and it's got a lot of harrison ford a decent amount of Harris uh, of Carrie Fisher, and almost no Mark Hamill. In fact, the MacGuffin in, this, in, in The Force Awakens is what happened to Luke. Mark, you know, Mark Hamill has to be the only actor who's gotten a reported $3 million to appear in The Force Awakens for less than a minute and with no lines of dialogue.
1: <laughs> Tough way to make a living. That was kind of a down payment. I need to have.
2: Yeah, but so, spoiler alert, Han Solo died. You had a couple of years. You really should have seen the movie by now. So we're pretty sure Harrison Ford isn't going to appear in this one unless there's some sort of, like, you know, message or, or flashback or something like that. But we're not going to see much of Han Solo. So we're going from Harrison Ford, you know, when, when he's at his best, uh, one of the most charming and likable figures on screen, and when he's at his worst, he's just saying, my wife, my family. Um, <laughs> you know, instead of relying on Harrison Ford, Sounds like more of this movie is going to have to be carried by Mark Hamill. Uh, no offense to Mark Hamill, he has delighted no. audiences in a lot of performances, particularly uh, uh, his voice work as the Joker in the old Batman cartoon series. But uh, let's face it, you know it's on you, Mark, um, and and Carrie Fisher. You know, as you said, everything has been fi- finished with this. It's going to add a very bittersweet uh, vibe to this one, and and I kind of wonder, you know, is that going to Make it a less enjoyable film, uh, you know. This, in this one, like the first, this is the one where where Disney proves it's not an accident. We didn't just happen to get lucky with the last one. We really know what we're doing. And uh, but you
1: liked Rogue One, right?
2: You know, <laughs> okay. So I, I asked the boys about this because you're now starting to see it on uh, on demand and stuff like that. They have no. In- my boys have no interest in seeing this again. Which I think is interesting. That's um, Well,
1: that's certainly a tell, considering yeah. you know, usually the first thing you want to do is watch it a million times. Oh,
2: my good! Yeah, we, we watched Force Awakens roughly a bazillion times. Uh, and there's no one, and I, I don't know if it's because, spoiler alert, um, the, all the characters in Rogue One die at the end. Well, um, isn't is that, it
1: possible that it's just because it's also the bridge of the trilogy where they have to do certain things to move the story forward. Yeah. But it's not necessarily an enjoyable portion of the story.
2: Safe to say, I, I wonder if these anthology films—the ones that are not connected to this main storyline but are telling you kind of these other tales going on in the Star Wars universe—I wonder if they're going to be as enjoyable, or whether we kind of recognize that these are kind of the the hors d'oeuvre or tapa versions of, of servings of Star Wars uh, instead of the main course. So I, I do wonder about that. Mickey, are we nearly at the end of an hour? It does appear we are getting the signal from Dave. So yes,
1: we have once again reached the end of an hour, which is kind of hard to believe. It goes so very fast. And uh, at some point, listeners, we promise we're going to try to expand this so we have a little more time with you. Uh, Maybe a couple times a week or something because this does go so very quickly. But we have reached the end of an hour. It was great being back with you guys. Um, Thanks for listening. You can always catch up with any of our shows at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can find us on Twitter, at Jim and Mickey. Look us up on Facebook. As Jim said, we like to put things up there after the show, um, kind of articles that we've shared, etc. And that's at Facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. And I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. We have Big Dave Perkins behind the board with us. And you are listening to the one, the only, Jim and Mickey show.
2: George, George, George of the jungle, strong as he can be. <laughs> Watch out for that tree. George, George, George of the jungle lives a life that's free. Ah, watch out for that tree. When he gets in the street, he makes his escape with the help of his friend. And ding, ding, deep. Then away he'll slap on his elephant ship while fella and Ursula stay in step. Well, George, George, George of the jungle friend to you and me.
0: Watch out for that tree! Mm-hmm. Watch out for that <coughs> oh, tree!
2: George, George, George of the jungle, friends!